In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, happy Thanksgiving. I hope the sun is shining. I hope the birds are singing. I hope the wind is at your back. I hope that you can sit down for a moment of quiet contemplation and find something to be thankful for because I guarantee you it's there. And when you start becoming thankful, it begins to get momentum and you find more things to be thankful for. I got a wonderful conversation for you today that I'm thankful for, and I'm hopeful that everyone listening to this will also be thankful for. I'd like to take a moment to introduce Peter Adams. He's a senior executive manager who's been building technology and developing strategies throughout the world. He's been in the game for a long time, and we're going to get into one of the one of the new strategies, one of these new technologies called Vilight. But before we even get into there, I should just dish it off to you, Peter, and give you a moment to explain to everybody a little bit more about who you are. Sure. Uh, well, thanks. Thanks, first of all, for having us on the show, George. Uh, this is very cool. Um, and, you know, uh, there are so many things that we can talk about. I will try to stay focused. <laughs> I'll try to uh, give you my history in a short, uh, as short a time as possible. Give, give me the long uh, version. Uh, well, the long version <laughs> is, is very, it's very long, but um, essentially, I'll just try and make it make it relevant. I mean, I grew up in the country, um, I in, in in England in the Cotswolds, and uh, obviously, I, I sort of grew up and ran around in nature a lot. I was very fortunate. Um, I I became a musician, had moderate success as a professional musician. Bummed out of college to do that. When I left that, I got serious and uh, was very fortunate to get hired to do a job of bioengineering at the Radcliffe in Oxford. Uh, I'm a, actually academically, I'm a complete flake because <laughs> I would never have got into Oxford with my academic record. However, I was fortunate that while I was working there, I was able to um, actually complete a degree which has Oxford on it. And uh, anyway, just, just so you know, that was in applied physics. 
But um, the early work I did there in healthcare, I really loved it. I was both looking after um, technology that was monitoring patients and at the same time looking after technology that's doing early signal processing analysis in cardiovascular medicine. Um, so, you know, I did do a computer science degree for the first year and was able to bring up one of the first uh, mini computers to do real-time ECG analysis back in those days. Anyway, fast forward after five years of doing that and uh, feeling like I wanted to spread my wings and probably put more food on the table and maybe an extra beer at the end of the month. Uh, I ended up getting a job in Canada, uh, working for Canada Systems Group as an engineer. Very shortly after that, I became very attracted to sales and was lucky enough to get hired by Intel and was working for Intel in the early days. They moved me to California to do some strategic work there. And, and that's when my career started to expand into sales and marketing. I moved into uh, being a principal consultant, started the semiconductor practice at Regis McKenna, which is a boutique consulting firm, and then uh, went independent from them. And then fast forward to more recently, I, I got um, dragged back to England, I guess, uh, with a startup called People PC. So I cut my teeth on building a startup from zero to 35 million. Uh, over there, uh, but that was the UK portion of People PC. It exited, uh, and and then Intel asked me to come back and run their relationship with the NHS. The NHS is the largest healthcare system in terms of employees, the richest in on the planet with a million employees, and so it was a very big strategic relationship with Intel. And working with Intel and the NHS, I really had engineers, marketing people working with me to really pull apart all of the mechanics of healthcare and how technology can, you know, make people better, make healthcare more efficient, monitor better, predict better, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then came back to Canada. I did had some early work with McKesson uh, here in Canada for a year and a half, introducing another uh, transformative technology. And at that point, I was really fortunate, serendipitously, uh, I was introduced to Mars Discovery District, which is the largest incubator in North America now, a million square foot incubator with $3 billion of research on the corner going into healthcare. And so I, I learned about and saw literally 200 startups as a mentor during that time. And when I was there, this chap called Dr. Lou Lim showed up. <laughs> With, with, this, with this device in his hand, this little device, which is powered by a AA battery, and it just, you know, activates this uh, intranasal port light on the front. And then Lou, actually, he had a friend uh, who was not very well. And mm -hmm. he said, I want to show you what's been discovered with this light uh, in terms of the blood. And typically, if you're not healthy, your blood, the platelets tend to clump together. and They're not very efficient in terms of viscosity or in terms of absorbing nutrients or dispersing toxins. And we, we took a prick of her blood, blood then, before and after, and I could see the platelets disaggregate in half an hour just using this in her nose. And so when I met Lou, I knew there was really something there. And, and learned the history of this. So um, aside from, um, I've worked as an 
a fractional VP with him and I've been with him, working with him now, I think it's like nine years, but he'd been working three years before that to develop this technology. So that's kind of how we got from here to there. I guess my skills are, I'm pretty much being a, you know, um, a jack of all trades and master of none, but maybe, maybe master of being able to see big pictures in business and, uh, just know what's going to happen downstream and how technology affects it and how human beings interact with it. That's what I love. I love those those two connections of how those two things work together. That was I, that was a pretty long story. I hope I didn't put you to sleep with that one. Not at all. I think it's fascinating. So what I'm hearing in there is you like the clash. I'm just kidding. <laughs> clash. <laughs> so let me ask you this. When, when thinking about healthcare, like the macro and the micro, do you see those two things as interpersonal relationships are the same as business relationships? Like when you drill down on like looking at interpersonal relationships, because it seems like you, you have to know that in order to thoroughly understand how to, how to work in, in, in areas like that. Is it the same on a grand scale? Is it like fractal in that nature? Uh, that, that's a great question because this is this is one of my beefs. So the the world is driving towards replacing human relationships with text and emails and and just not physically being together or speaking to each other. And um, you know, in in certain circumstances, that kind of communication can be very valuable. It's because it's recordable and you can learn from it, et cetera. But to my mind in business, actually at the end of the day, when, when the big plays come and you're not in front of the person that's using it or the person that's managing the channel that might be using it or the person that's running the research that might be using it, if you don't have a personal relationship with them, you, you're, you're missing, I think, 80% of the important interactions that need to happen. And, and I guess what people do stuff when they're happy they might and if you don't know that they're happy if you're not checking in that they're happy you're going to lose in the long term it might feel it might be easier in the short term just to go with emails but i find that it, it that's one of the really sad things about business today is that people are trying to replace communication with texts and emails they don't want to talk to each other anymore but i think you know i I do believe that that will have its day. I think the pen, the pendulum swung in that direction, and I think I think it'll come back to the middle eventually because people will learn. Now, the difference to me between uh, personal relationships and business relationships in business relationships, there are things that we're involved with. You know, one is safety, which is very important in healthcare. You can't take risks in healthcare. You can take we can take business risks in terms of which um, technical paths we pursue, which conditions we look at, what we measure, how many patients and how much we spend and how long before we give up and try something else. So those are the risks you can take. But you can't, you, it, at VLIC, that's one of the things that I think we're really strong on. We're, we're, we're stronger than anybody actually is that we are very much, uh, into safety and evidence. Now, photobiomodulation, which we can describe later, is <laughs> something that 
one of the challenges I had when I joined Lou was actually convincing the healthcare system that there was a there there. There was actually mm. something happening because the results just seemed too magical. And uh, that that was an issue. So we, we really had to spend a lot of energy proving that out. So that's some of the differences that I see between personal and business. But with, with your friends, and it, it's always, I think it's always important to be listening rather than speaking and most of the time. <laughs> it's well said. When I, I guess I'm curious a little bit, and I tend to jump around, so forgive me, but when when we look at light, is the way photobiomodulation, is it, is it the light or is it a vibration? Because it's waves, right? Light, light is waves. It's like, how is it transforming these cells to, to move in a different way? Is it through the vibration? Is it through the light? Or maybe we could talk about that. Sure. I'll tell you, let's just talk about what we know. Yes, please. Far, the, the facts. So it, I don't know if you or your audience are familiar with mitochondria. So those are the little energy packs that build cells give strength to muscles, convert energy in, or convert not only nutrients, but they can also convert light into energy that can be used by the body. And they contain something called cytochrome C oxidase, which is actually able to absorb the light and then produce cell building energy. So we, that those are the facts we know from photobiomodulation. Now, there are certain frequencies that have been observed to do that better than others, or I sorry, I should say wavelengths. Mm. And the original wavelengths that were discovered uh, were discovered a while back when um, a study was going on looking at how does light affect positively or negatively the skin and looking at all the different colors. And they were basically shaving fur off of mice and rats and shining different lights on them as if they were cancerous or whatever. And then they, they actually noticed that when they use 633 nanometer, which is plain red, that within a couple of weeks, the fur had grown back really fast, much faster than ever before, which was then they realized there was some kind of regenerative uh, process going on. And that, that's where the whole thing kicked off. But in terms of wavelengths, uh, we've been very fortunate to know and uh, work with Professor Michael Hamlin, uh, who, who really is kind of the godfather of photobiomodulation. He was really studying all of the various wavelengths and effects on the human body. And he's published 400 papers on it. Um, and the other, the other kinds of wavelengths, just anecdotally, which seem to be very powerful that we know about is blue. So blue doesn't penetrate deep but it does kill bacteria. And that's why it's really great to have blue in the nose. The red seems to give a great systemic effect. And that's why Lou, that was found years ago. And that's why Lou built the intranasal device because it's cheap, non-invasive, easy to use, safe. And, uh, you know, there's a, a biggest profusion of blood cells at the surface in the nose. So that's, that's where that came from. Now, we're going to have to continue on this wavelength yeah. discussion. I just need to pause for one. Of course, second. take your time. Yeah. Just want to make sure I've got power going in here. Uh, you're going to have to, you may have to edit this. I'm sorry about that. No, nope, no problem. We're live. I mean, we're doing it live.
Oh, we are. Oh, cool. Uh -huh. well, hello, everybody. Just one sec. Take just want to make sure I don't die on you during the middle of this. Oh. <laughs> Here we go. Um, now we we move from the the nose and getting that systemic effect where people were feeling. First of all, they have much better sleep. They were waking up feeling more energized using just the basic infrared, infrared. Now, later on, they were looking at, okay, how can you get light into the neurons? How, do, how can you get it through the skull? How does it penetrate? And what's the right frequency? And they found that near-infrared was able to penetrate the skull and go in deep enough to create the same regenerative effect with the neurons that the red does. The blue does not penetrate it really is a surface kind of light because it's it's uh you know it's a shorter wavelength so those are some of the things um that really the different wavelengths do and are are considerations for for using now specifically this uh so this little device is a recent sort of device that we come up with it's called the mip the MIP, we, we've got, you can plug in four different uh, intranasals in that device. So you can get your blue, your near-infrared, laser red, and regular red. So that you can do all of those with that device. That's not designed for the skull. This device is the device, this is one of the earlier devices, actually this rev number one. I <laughs> wish I could show you what we're coming out with literally in a month, but unfortunately I can't. Uh, that it's going to be very similar to this. You can see in this device, there are um, little diodes in there in those lenses. This was designed with a number of things in mind. What's the minimum amount of energy you can deliver to the brain and proximal to the head with a minimum amount of power where it can be powered by a rechargeable battery. We always wanted it to be uh, portable and you know, for easy home use, press a button, turns it on, turns it off. So that device um, has had quite a famous journey, I have to say. Would you like me to continue the story? Oh, of this, or did you would... ask another question? No, that's. I, I want to go on the journey. Let's let's hear okay. about the the device and the story behind it. Well, fortunately, in Harvard, uh, because of Michael Hamlin, Michael called. A neuroscientist, uh, she's professor of neuroscience at Boston University Hospital, Professor Margaret Naser. And he said, he said, Margaret, we want you to try shining this light into people's heads. Can you do an experiment for us? And so she she said, Oh, okay. And and she's pretty open-minded because she was actually trained in acupuncture in China. So she was very familiar with meridians and mm -hmm. alternative healthcare, though. A, you know, a real crack scientist, very, very well respected in the field. So she started off uh, looking at um, essentially using a big helmet. Which is it, it was completely cumbersome before this thing was built. I think it, it had hundreds of LEDs in it. And she essentially decided to try and she did. Well, she did some work with aphasia, but a very pivotal study she did was with four ex-athletes who'd been in with a repetitive hand injury, footballers, mm. one of which was uh, Dr. Larry Carr. Now, Dr. Larry Carr, he was a Brigham Young Hall of Famer player, and uh, he later played in the CFL, but he also had a career after that 
as a lecturer, as a teacher. Uh, he has his PhD in exercise physiology and exercise psychology. Uh, but his life gradually decayed, gets decayed from uh, the head injuries that he had to the extent where he, he was almost in a, in a CTE status where his, his brain was literally shrinking. He had terrible mood disorders. He couldn't work. And he was on a journey and he, he went to Boston and he actually found Margaret who put him in the trial. <laughs> and after a couple of months, he started to normalize. He started to get his life back. It was absolutely transformational. As by the way, as did the others. Um, so Margaret, at the end of the study, Margaret said, you know, that's it. I mean, you have to go home. He's going, what are you saying? I can't continue the treatment. He said, no, we don't have anything else. She said, however, you know, she said, however, we, we do have this device from V-Line. So Larry, <laughs> Larry took that device. He was very skeptical. And uh, by the way, she was monitoring his cognitive ability, his memory, his mood. And uh, he went home and started to use this device. And he was going downhill, uh, you know, uh, clinically as missing that treatment. But when he got home, he started using the V-Lite device and he came right up the other side within a month. And since then, he got his life back. He became inspired to, to actually work with this technology to help people recover. And he's devoting his life now to uh, really promoting the research. And he went to the University of Utah, he went to his old university, Brigham Young, and the University of Utah, and he convinced them to do a, a, a study, which you can see, we have videos about it. You, with uh, We were very fortunate that we had Professor Elizabeth Wilde and Dr. David Tate. They are both, you know, world-class uh, neuropsychologists who did a study with a larger cohort of, of patients, uh, 40, in fact, ex-athletes and vets, uh, who have a repetitive head injury. Now, the results are literally in review right now, but they're off the charts too, and they've never seen anything like it. And his work there now, we have, we literally have seven new studies going on there. They've done studies with healthy athletes, with female football players, um, with uh, kids, so they're doing an age range and uh, really accelerating this. So. If there are any uh, philanthropists looking, Larry has a foundation for that study or for those studies too, because those researchers did all that early work in their own time. They were not paid, uh, but they were able to use the uh, fMRI scanners because it's a veterans hospital as well there. They were able to, to use that to, to actually do it. And they showed with fMRI, they showed the increase in the blood flow in the brain they showed an increase in cognitive ability, strength. Now, some of the collateral benefits that they showed that came out of that were basically performance benefits because they're ex-athletes saying, hey, you know, I'm one, one, one I think actually was a triathlete, and he said uh, that his in-season cycling ability accelerated about 10% faster than, than it would normally. So then we started to get into looking at sport with this whole thing, and it's, it's sort of amped up from there now we have ath elite athletes all over the world and i'm talking world champions i wish they tell everybody but they won't want to tell anybody what they're using they use our devices so it's very exciting it really is a, a quite a story it's as we're talking you know when i think about light being transmitted to the brain through the cranium if it's just a frequency 
Why can't it be? Why can't you just listen to music? Why can't you tune a song to 633 degrees and have that wavelength just enter through your ears versus having the light stimulate it? Like, is, if, I mean, is that too uh, I, crazy? So, there, well, there are companies that do a combination of light and sound. Uh, I see. Um, sound does have an effect. We can absolutely on the mood. Mm -hmm. It can be positive or negative, to be to be frank. Sure. Um, in, in fact, um, you know, I remember, I forget, it was a dictator, I think, in South America that um, he he was hauled up in some house and they just played horrible music to him. So he couldn't, uh, he couldn't, he couldn't stand it anymore. He just came out, you know. Yeah. So sound can have a positive and negative effect, but sound does not appear. I haven't seen any evidence. We haven't seen any evidence of regenerative ability. Mm. That we have seen, there is proven uh, evidence out of UCSF in San Francisco uh, of of showing neural networks actually building mm. light is present. It actually does accelerate those connections. Now, most most recently, Larry is the only person that has been using this device for five years. They did a they did an MRI of his brain then, and they've done they've just done MRIs of his brain now, arguably using different software. But it looks like his brain has grown, physically grown. So there's neurogenesis going on. So you're right. Sounds sounds great, but I don't. I haven't seen any research showing um, regenesis with sound, nor with you know the other modalities they they're using clinically, is you know transcranial direct current stimulation mm -hmm. and magnetic stimulation. Right. Now those things do seem to sort of wake up abilities, um, but I haven't seen anything about regenesis with those. Light seems to be the secret, but I mean. <laughs> you know you can play play sound to plants but if you if they're not in the sun you know what's going to happen yeah it's it's fascinating to think about here here's an interesting one how do you think advancements in photomodulation technology as described by violet might challenge or shape our understanding of the mind-body connection Yeah, so the, we are we are looking at the different functions that we know that different functions of the brain um, interact with the mind in different ways, whether it's intuitive, rational, cognitive, memory, etc. And we are seeing when we shine the light in those different areas improvements uh, or changes in those areas which relate i mean the cells are the body and <laughs> the mind is the yeah. is the mind which really is another energy field that that operates around and within the body uh probably within the universe but that's that's a different topic it's above my pay grade <laughs> though though i must say i do believe I do believe that that's the cool thing about light technology is that it's such a small interaction with such a big effect. And, and a lot of the early effects are cognitive. We're only just, it's funny because we're coming back to physical effects at the same time. 
no. Um, there are some things uh, that we are noticing. I say we. I'm, I should I should recognize the people who are doing this, but there are universities, and and until their stuff is published, I can't say who they are, unfortunately. But for example, when you're playing football, your mental ability, the way you process, the way you see something, identify it, do something about it, organize your body into, into dealing with it, just like catching a ball, yeah. that's where the mind and the body interacts. And they are inseparable in that way. And I think that we're, we're showing that the light is actually affecting those things dramatically um we are looking at some very big breakthroughs in sport which are are going to be mind-boggling to be honest with you um yeah so i think you're right the, it it's i mean when you think about when i was working at the radcliffe in the 70s the you know psychology was just really kind of yeah. in its infancy any relationship between the mind and the body was not known but now we see you know the prescriptions of mindfulness for people with all sorts of sickness so people are recognizing the relationship between the mind and the body i believe yeah there's some clinically there's some fascinating books like the body keeps the score and when in some ways it sounds to me like this particular device in light has an incredibly effective role in neuroplasticity, which would be a way in which we can change. It's a way we can model reality. If you start thinking about it from that, from a big aspect, neuroplasticity is a way in which we model reality. And that has a lot of implications, right? Yes, it does. Now, actually, one of the uh, largest or larger cohorts of users of light therapy now are neurofeedback specialists mm, yeah. and for your audience who've never come across them they are people that are treating things like anxiety trauma etc and what they do is they do a brain map they they do a 36 lead eeg and they use software uh, to see the power spectrum of each uh, eeg wave band alpha beta gamma delta and then they use software to uh, enable well they like games actually for their patients right. to enable them to retrain the brain the retraining is neuroplasticity usually the retraining is 20 to 40 sessions to 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 deal with some of these issues one hour two hour sessions they have found that they can do retraining in less than 60 percent of the time less it really does accelerate neuroplasticity. There is no question. And do you think that that has to do with bypassing the default mode network? In, in a lot of ways, this particular therapy seems a lot, it seems to dovetail nicely with the research being done with psychedelics. Like the, the turning off of the default mode network allows you to process information in different parts of the brain, create new connectivity. Maybe you could speak to that a little bit. Well, um, yeah, M Margaret Nazer recommended designing the device to go with Dr. Lou Lim to actually be focused on the default mode network, okay. which is, you know, the, the kind of network when you're daydreaming. And I think it's, it's really the network um, which has that kind of function of getting us out of the way yes. 
of the natural processes, getting our, our as conscious, trying to interrupt our consciousness. This is the daydreaming state, right? Uh, so I think that plays a plays a big part, as of course meditation does. Sure. And by the way, we've been there are med there's meditation study ongoing right now, which I can talk about later. Um, so yeah, I think that's that's one part. The other interesting part is the power of the we have we we use two pulse frequencies in our early devices one is 10 hertz which is like around the alpha band pulse frequency the other is 40 hertz now the 40 hertz the gamma frequency is the frequency band which is most active when you're asleep and when you're in gamma it wakes up the microglia and they go around clearing up all the toxins and and also the the cerebral fluid starts to flow to to flush the brain uh, it seems that 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 particular frequency if you can get people into gamma it really helps uh with a lot of healing uh, particularly with things like beta amyloid plaques and tau mm. with alzheimer's and dementia so so yeah you're right um you know those the default mode network is one but i think that we're finding that the pulse frequencies are equally important it's not just the position and are those pulse frequencies on the device, are they located to interact with certain parts of the brain? Like potentially if someone had a speech impediment, could you target like Broca's area or, I mean, I'm sure that they're yeah. put in certain spots for certain reasons, but maybe you could talk about the alignment. Well, yeah, we, we couldn't do everything all at once. So we initially <laughs> did, uh, no excuses. I mean, it's, it's I wish we could. But uh, we, we came out, out with those two pulse frequencies over the default mode network with the intranasal which by the way the intranasal is really important because yeah when you're using near infrared it actually penetrates through to the hippocampus so it gets into the memory and the deep brain and uh which which is really important um sorry where was i that's my train of thought yeah we were we were um we were talking about the importance of pulse frequencies we started out with those two frequencies and we did the early study with those two frequencies and they seem to be have a, be effective in terms of two areas like the 10 hertz mm -hmm. seems to help people with calming just generally calming you getting in that alpha state the 40 hertz seems to be really great for cognitive function i myself i was rear-ended by a car a pretty severe concussion and those of you who've had that know that there's this kind of clash between you're feeling really tired but revved up inside so you've got mm -hmm. two competing things going on i use the 10 hertz it actually calmed that down right away calm the revving down and then when i got back to work and i wanted to focus on things i was still having you know light sensitivity with screens and being able to my executive function was really slow but when i use the gamma it seemed to really speed that up and that's what we found with those two frequencies. Now, it, the th something we've been working on recently is we're, we've now developed a device with, which is more, I would say it's a research device or for serious hackers. Yeah. As, which has a, a lot more modules on it. Each module, you can change the pulse frequency. You can switch it on and off from zero to 10, to, um, 10 kilohertz. And... Uh, you can actually do phasing programs and so forth. So we have, we have like this um, 
kind of skunk works group of people that's bought them around the world and we have these uh, meetings with them with their discoveries of what they're discovering the bottom line is we just we're we're recently discovering that you know you put for example if you put 40 hertz into somebody it doesn't mean they're necessarily going to jump into gamma state or have have amplified gamma in their power spectrum of their eg people if people have their own personal favorite frequencies and we're just measuring that right now and we're going to publish something about that so the so the four i mean the brain is so complex i can't say you know put a in and you're going to get b out it's it's there's more to it than that and we're but we're we're like i said we're we're choosing our we're risking our past very judiciously of how we proceed with this but we're we're kind of fortunate because we're 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 kind of leading the field in the world which is really exciting right now we we have researchers all over the world that are using our devices it's just a blessing it really is i mean people are so excited and generous about this another aspect i think too is the way in which it's developing when you have that sort of network of people willing to contribute their own ideas of like, hey, I'm using this device this way. Here's how I feel. That is a wealth of knowledge and evidence. And even though, is it a problem that it's not in a clinical setting? Like I kind of see the world changing and moving away from these closed conditions of clinical settings and moving and broadening out to to a direction where more people can experience it and give their knowledge. Even though it's subjective, it's still worthwhile, right? Yeah. So the good news is the good news is the actual power of the LEDs, when they're sub 100 milliwatts, the FDA in the States classifies that as a wellness device. Mm. So, it, so in terms of the FDA is concerned about safety and efficacy. And uh, it, on the safety side, they're not really worried about clinical trials. Plus the historical evidence, we've got over 100,000 devices around the world with no contraindications. Every now and again, people will get a little headache and so forth. But the, you're not going to get, you know, I, I, I hate to say it, but you're not going to get the um, kind of farmer style side effects that you get with, you know, farmer pharma drugs. You're not. So uh, the, the good news is they can be safely researched. Now, you have, though you have to be careful especially in Canada, about how you represent this technology in terms of disease. In Canada, until you've done a clinical trial, you cannot say anything to do with, for example, Alzheimer's, even if you're doing a clinical trial publicly, because you're relating the technology to disease. In the States, it's a a little more relaxed than that, thank goodness. Um, And you're able to say what studies you're, you're running. So for us, that's been kind of a half blessing, half challenge. To actually bring these through to a medical device status is a lot of work. And we've actually done that with one. We actually, During COVID, we, we used uh, a single module near-infrared on the thymus and, and the intranasal. And we, we did a study with 200 COVID patients. We got clinical, uh, we got um, approved as a medical device for post-COVID, and uh, you know we're now our medical device manufacturer, so we've invested in that in advance, ready for it. But in terms of um, 
you know, going back to your question about is this a good thing? I guess the good news is, is that, you know, it seems like light, this, this power of light is very safe. Um, but I think it has to be used, has to be sold responsibly. Mm-hmm. For example, and, and I can tell you something I can say publicly, we've seen miracles with Alzheimer's. We've seen nothing happen with Alzheimer's. So the question is why? And, you know, you, to actually determine how you apply the light, where you're going to get the best outcome, it's my belief, for example, if you, if you have patients, for example, who have, say, heavy metal poisoning or heliobacters or, you know, Lyme disease, I don't, I don't think the light's going to help so powerfully with those p- people. I think there's, there's other modalities that have to remove those things first before the repair mm-hmm. can happen. So, um, so I think we have to be careful um, how we actually represent this technology, but at the same time, we have to uh, test more, more widely where it works really well and where it's probably not going to work. Unfortunately, it's hard to go to a doctor and say, "Hey, can you test me for Lyme disease? And can you mm. do a merc- can you do a heavy metal test? And uh, can you do a reverse thyroid test?" I mean, it's just that's just not available. It's definitely not available in Canada or off the shelf. You have to pay for it. So, um, does that sort of answer your question, George? I kind of rambled off. In the no, way. it's good. Yeah, I think it's a I think it's a wonderful answer. It's. For me, it's fascinating to see the way in which science is beginning, science and and medicine is beginning to take a more holistic approach. And I think for so long, it's been this real top down, you know, heavy view of, and I get it, like, how can you manage what you can't measure? But it seems to me one of the problem is when you throw out some things that seem to be subjective, you're throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Like sometimes one of the best ideas to know if something's working is to ask the family of the person who's been affected is this person less of an asshole is this person less of this like that information is fantastic information and i think it should be incorporated into a lot of the studies and unfortunately those kind of subjective ideas are are sometimes thrown out so i I think the question was awesome i i I was just trying to get at the idea of maybe Going forward, do you see more of this holistic approach with medicine is 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 kind of branching outwards on the bottom and, and taking the information from the bottom up? Yeah, I do. I do. I mean, I've seen changes, for example, uh, in terms of doing trials. Yeah. Patient reported outcomes have in the last 10 years become significant. There was never, you know, being able to, yeah. you know, do surveys online and randomly do patient reported outcomes so the the healthcare system is trying to leverage technology and then of course or fortunately i mean there's a supply and demand issue i mean there's <laughs> supply and demand of nurses supply and demand mm-hmm. of equipment yeah just overall cost of healthcare is huge and so that forcing function does uh it, it forces some clinicians, you know, they give up being clinicians and start to try alternative methods and develop, etc. So I think some of that's helping. It's happening naturally. Um, I, I wish it could happen faster. I think everybody's frustrated, but uh, but I think the the healthcare system's kind of got itself in a stranglehold of you know, especially when 
you know, when the MBA came in and the spreadsheet <laughs> and then, you know, IT, um, electronic medical records, all of those things, I mean, have electronic medical records been a blessing in terms of informing data and then informing AI, which will be a big benefit. Yeah. But they, but they've also um, made people afraid of doing anything. You know, your family doctor might have might have said, you know, I remember my card, my cardiology professor used to tell his patients, hey, have a have half a pint of beer before you go to bed at night. He would actually tell people to do that. You couldn't do that today. So things, I think things things are evolving. Um, I I don't have any magic solution to get them to evolve faster. Mm. But I think uh, we are being driven by crisis. Mm. Unfortunately, um, I I do believe one of my, I do believe, which is kind of con controversial, perhaps. I do believe we spend too much money on pure research versus applied research, in terms of research institutions. And uh, I mean, dis to the disproportionate amount is is huge, and it, it kind of holds us back. And uh, you know, there there are things that we could we could accelerate to to test. Um, alternative medicine is still, you know, in terms of things like herbs and homeopathics and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, they're still living a life, and people are still buying them. So they must be doing something. Um, they're they're living. There's a kind of a Darwinian <laughs> process going. <on. laughs> Uh, unfortunately, I do believe, unfortunately, it's, you know, in the States, it's difficult. You know, you have, it's so, there's so litigious environment for physicians. They can't, they can't uh, play games and be too creative. They're, they're strangleholders. But... As someone who has developed different technologies and different strategies, is it, how is it to develop a technology like this and have it play in different markets around the world? It seems like there's a lot of moving parts there and you're trying to navigate different cultures and different, you know, different systems. And how, how, how do you deal with that from a strategic point of view? Um, well, just, just so you know, I mean, all of the technology that V-Lite has mm -hmm. was developed by Lou right. and his, his brother who runs the manufacturing in Malaysia. So we have our, our own, pretty tight-knit group. Um, I stopped developing technology in 1979 <laughs> and became, oh, I, I beg your pardon, no, 1981. And, and at that time, most of the stuff I was working on was, was pure hardware and uh, in a research environment and then software in a oil and gas environment. So not healthcare at all <laughs> in, in the second phase. So, um, and technology's capability and software development tools are so much more advanced now. It's just a whole different world. So just so you know. However, um, I think in terms of developing technology today and, and what we're doing, um, we're, we as a company are moving out of a pure startup mode into a, a very what's called like a continuous feedback loop of mm -hmm. customer to research results to variations on the product. And so to do that, you have to um, run market requirements, processes and product requirements, processes 
and start to bring them in. We're still a small company. We only have 20 people here in North America and you know, the, and the manufacturing plant in Malaysia. So most of, uh, most of the input to the equation we're getting from researchers, like, like I said, we've got Harvard, UCSF, Utah, now in Atlanta, uh, we just had research coming in from Spain on creativity, a creativity study, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. uh, so all of those inputs are feeding in. Um, and one of our, I guess, one of our greatest researchers who works with us is one of Canada's uh, leading EEG experts, Reza Zalmarodi, Dr. Reza Zalmarodi, who works at a place called CAMACE, this Canadian mental health um, an addictions hospital mm. arguably the top mental health hospital in canada and uh, so having him connected to healthcare and then us connected to the market the combination of those two is is really powerful um, now the other um, great relationships we have that guide the technology and really accelerate what we're able to do is our relationship with veterans affairs in the states They've been very, very helpful with us, guiding us, and, and really because they have some dire needs that they need to fix. And you probably, you may have seen there are studies done in UCSF with post-war syndrome, post-Gulf War syndrome, obviously concussions, many TBIs, PTSD, et cetera. Um, all of those are informing what we do. But... Uh, you know, going forward, we're, we've been really focused on fit, form, and function. And uh, I'm sorry, it looks like I have some network trouble. Uh, are, you, are you guys seeing me okay still? Yeah, we can see you perfectly. Good stuff. Okay. Um, so most recently, uh, the, the devices you see, um, they're, they're not the prettiest devices, as you mm. can see. And we, but they were really focused on just delivering light and uh what what we're doing now has been more focused on usability comfort aesthetic uh, because now we have elite athletes using them aesthetic is very important to them so that's kind of forced us in, into bringing some new um ways of thinking um we used to there are people that used to say this device is like bucklers it looks awful but ah. <laughs> but uh, so now we the the new device, which actually uh, I'm hoping we can show to the public in the, in the next month, is really a classy looking device. Um, it's it's beautiful. It's very comfortable, and uh, I think uh, you know a footballer player wouldn't feel embarrassed wearing it on the bench. To be honest with you, it's <laughs> certainly not on the field. Are, so. So in an interesting twist of events, if, if a device can be used to help creativity, to help with PTSD, are there any, any worries about using it in an unethical way? So um, we have, uh, actually, we have some really good uh, neuropsychologists who have been working with PTSD. And... Um, so with PTSD that comes from remembered events, mm -hmm. it seems to be, I'm, I'm being very clear, it seems yeah. to be fine. Where 
things have to be managed carefully is people with dissociative disorder mm. and post-memory syndrome. Right. Uh, and of course, they would be, hopefully they'd be using it when they're in therapy. Right. But it, and you know, with therapy, there's a cadence and the body and the mind brings up things and kind of saves them for the therapy session and brings them up. And, and so the memories come back at, at a rate that the body can and the mind can deal with them. So you have to be careful with, you know, plugging in near-infrared pulsed into the hippocampus and accelerating memory because it can it can accelerate some of the memory recall. That can be challenging. And I, I'm not saying how, when, but uh, people are using it in therapy as an adjunct therapy. Um, now some of the, the positive news that we're getting out of the American College of Psychotherapy is that, that you have patients that may come in, they may have um, brain trauma-induced mm -hmm. PTSD or some kind of PTSD that's, they come into therapy and they're so angry, they have this massive rusty iron armor on that, you know, they, you can't start the therapy until you get past it. So they've been very excited about using this um, just to soften that, using 10 hertz pulsed uh, air infrared uh, to actually calm the anxiety or the anger down, where the, and then the dialogue and the, the therapeutic process can start. So that's, that's what's going on as we speak, and there's some excitement around that. Um, I, I, I don't want to... I don't want to sell this. I want them to sell it. <laughs> right. But they are, the American College of Psychotherapy, Wayne Hewlett, is they are, they are developing a training that they're going to roll out to them and to the uh, International Association of Neurofeedback, ISNR, uh, to train them to use uh, photobiomodulation properly in their practice and how to do that. So that's, that's kind of cool. Yeah, I think, what an incredible tool to be able to see the biofeedback in real time as you're thinking something. It almost gives you a whole nother perspective. If if I can see what's happening in my brain in real time while I'm thinking about something, it really gives you the wherewithal to change your thoughts in real time and see it happen. Like in some ways you can train your mind that way, yes. right? Like if you can see it, it's pretty impressive. Definitely. No, definitely. I mean, the so real-time real-time eeg and the quantification of it real-time is a challenge because um just picking up the signals while you're firing the light in is a little difficult because there mm. is electricity going in it and there there are there's there's noise from the actual power that's going to the device but you can do it you can do it before the treatment so that you have a map and you you know where you're going to affect it um i have but actually i saw recently there's a very interesting technology out of georgia where they're using guided journeys using um virtual reality through wow. the brain and educating people when you're thinking this way when you're feeling that they're showing the parts of the brain they're involved i think that's really really helpful and uh i know some uh, psychologists over here are very excited about using that that technology to guide people to interact with their brain and imagine those because 
you know as well as I do, I can tell you're a meditator too. You know where you where you focus your mind, stuff happens. It does. But yeah, I, I, sometimes I think inner space is maybe even greater than outer space. You know, the, the ability to go inwards might be the final frontier. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're getting into a more esoteric space, but I, I can't, no, I can't, um, you know, I have to be very honest. I totally believe you. That's how I feel. Me too. I'm sorry. It's the truth. It's the truth. I've seen the, the evidence in my own life. Yeah, I agree too. It's the thing. The thing about photobiomodulation, I feel like it's it's um, it's it's not. You know, most of the pharmaceutical approaches to medicine are about inhibition. Yeah, whereas photobiomodulation is more like some hands just lifting you up a bit. It's giving you more energy to do what you do naturally. That's why, and I use it in meditation. We've just completed meditation studies and with some very experienced meditators and they they all believe they're all saying that the meditative experience is better so in that regard i'm really happy that this technology isn't messing up the formula of uh you know experiencing your inner space i think it's probably helping it actually you know you had mentioned prior in the conversation about the light and the internasal reaching up to the hippocampus what Maybe you could speak more of that relationship. Like what is happening when we're able to use a certain frequency of light to, to shine up into the hippocampus? Like what's going on there? Well, all I can tell you is what I can't really tell you any more than I've already told you, George, because <laughs> it's um, fascinating. You know, it's, it's, um, first of all, any kind of dead neural connections have a better chance of reconnecting coming back to life. Uh, it appears that the cytochrome C oxidase that's in damaged cells uh, absorb the light better and yeah. attract it in. So any damage that's there appears to start to repair. That's, that's really, I can't say much more than that. Well, I guess I can say a little more. Uh, and so blood flow is increased. Yeah in the area a huge part we've of shown that with fmris there's no question um you know blood flow blood viscosity microcirculation um yeah and on, on a systemic level photobiomodulation of course also improves um you know like it works like an antioxidant it increases nitric oxide so it increases oxygen absorption in the lungs i mean there's 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 a bunch of things going on that just really help that's all i can say um i can't tell you what's happening at atomic level um i can report so we the the only thing i can report and i'm really not scientifically qualified at this level but we're now talking the level of quantum physics so our researchers here have been working with the university of calgary with george kaczynski who's and they've been looking at the microtubules, which are like the energy exoskeleton of everything in, in the structures of the, of the body. And the light is actually, uh, different pulse frequencies are able to uh, bring the exoskeletons together, the microtubules, or take them apart. So where we know now the light can influence the energy to build things properly or to dismantle things that are improper. 
this is very early stage stuff but um uh so it's important it's important it's it's so fascinating to me to see the way in which we can interrupt patterns of thinking and fundamentally change our lives and sometimes it makes me feel maybe it's a lifetime of negative feedback loops of of negative things that cause parts of our brain to die. You know, if, if you're constantly thinking about how horrible you are at being a father or, you know, on some level that could cause that part of your brain to atrophy. And why wouldn't the, mm. the right frequency interrupt that pattern and allow the blood flow to get back in there and, Hey, this is not a healthy thought. And then all of a sudden your whole life changes. It's, it's all about interrupting the patterns. It's, it's fascinating to me. I know that's kind of a tangent, but what do you think? Well, uh, I, I've, I personally, have witnessed and have done work on myself Me too. Uh, in psychotherapy. And I hate to say, it, everybody knows, I don't care what you say, everything comes from your childhood. It really does. I mean, we there, there's your genetics, your ancestry, mm -hmm. but then there's your also your parental experience, whatever that is. Um, actually, my, my wife's very big on um, uh, kids that have been brought up in childcare, how they just don't seem to know how to cross the road because you know they haven't haven't been modeled by mum and dad walking around with mum and dad and walking them for, for that fortunately probably yourself and me i i did spend a lot of time with mum and dad uh, i'm not saying i'm perfect but uh, i would say that that most definitely they do have an impact now when, when you're doing therapy it's it's very well recognized with somatic therapy that the it, the um experiences aren't all stored in the brain they're actually the traumatic experiences are stored in various parts of the body mm -hmm. including the brain and and i think that there are natural mechanisms that just shuts things down just so you can function that's natural but yeah. i guess um, when uh, when the requirements of life get such that you're shutting so much down you can't function and and the steam valve blows that's when you have to go and take a look at those things and, and i agree they they do things do shut down, you stop functioning. And and in ways in ways that are quite can be quite remarkable, actually. I mean yeah. with the experiences that you have um to actually mirror what's not working, they're all there. They're they're all there. I mean life is there. If you if you start to um, watch life that way as a reflection, mm. it's uh it's surprising. It's surprising how things change. I haven't figured out how to be incredibly wealthy yet, but that makes two of us. But the conversation, I think, is a wealth of knowledge. And I think that there's I've been playing with this new idea that relationships are the new currency. And the more relationships you build with people, the richer you are. It may not translate into we're in a world of abundant dollar bills raining down on you. But to be able to speak with someone with whom you admire and have an engaging conversation and share that conversation might be the truest form of wealth. <laughs> I like that. Me I too. Like that. I do agree. I totally agree. Peter, I love this conversation. I love speaking to people. I love learning new things. Um, I have... I got a Thanksgiving turkey to cook and some lovely, lovely young ladies to go and hug and tell them I love them. But I really appreciate your conversation. I appreciate your time today. And I look forward to future conversations. And my, my special thanks to Violet and Lou for, and yourself. And I think everyone should go check out the show, the, the notes below. 
And also the Mars Discovery unit that you have with that magazine, that startup coalition is really just a wealth of knowledge over there. And I've been zooking out on it for like the last day. Like there's so much cool stuff in there. But before, maybe you could share a little bit about where people can find you and, 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 and whatnot before I let you go. Oh, sure. Um, well, obviously you can find me at VLight. And uh, I think even my phone number is on the website. But <laughs> I, I can't guarantee I'm going to answer it. I've got some good questions <laughs> going on. But uh, yeah, no, I, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not working with Mars Discovery District okay. anymore, though I'm very connected to it, the folks. It, it is a family that goes on forever. It's kind of like working for Intel. If you work, I worked for Intel for 10 years. It's, it's one of those very cool um, families of people who are just trying to make a difference. I mean, I'm talking a difference with the climate, with our environment, with our health, with our communication, with technology. It's just just an absolute blessing that I, I was able to work there. I never regret it. And But now I do work with other startups, um, you know, helping other startups who um, are like Mars clients. But, uh, you know, they, they can be anywhere from Israel. I was, I was actually literally working with an Israeli client quite recently and uh, was very close to that. It's very, very sad. Uh, but, yeah, Mars... It, I, I encourage people to go to the Mars Discovery District website, marsdd.com, and you'll you'll find a lot of stuff there. But you know there there are accelerators like Mars in various shapes and forms across North America. I mean there are awesome. There's there's ones in Hawaii. There on the West Coast, East Coast. I mean there. I I think um, any of you that are interested in innovation, just look for it the words innovation hubs near you or accelerators um those, those kind of words and you might if you're interested you can probably plug into what's going on and people that are trying to make a difference whether they're innovators doctors financiers lawyers i mean everybody's there's whole teams of people working together and it's it's just a beautiful experience that's all i can say so yeah and um you know, you can always reach me at VLight uh, if you if you have any questions. Um, if if you have technologies that you think will work with us uh, that may be complementary, we're always open to discussions about how we might work together. We're actively doing that now. Um, we are still a small company, but our ears are always open, and we'd be happy, very happy to, always happy to talk, no matter where you are. Yeah, for everybody that's listening, I have a lot of listeners that that work with mental illness and mental wellness, and I think that this particular technology could be an incredible additive to a lot of different therapies that people are trying. You know, I I know that um, Moksha Journeys in Oregon is is working with people that have addiction, and the yeah. Vital Program for Psychedelics Today is working some, and there's just so many great programs out there, and I have tons of cool listeners that. I think would find this technology to be as incredible and as something well worth of investigation. So I would point everyone listening to this to, to reach out to Peter and see if this could be something that could, you know, help shine a light on therapy. <laughs> yeah, please, so. please, that's great, George. I see you said that because, um, okay, so in autism, mm -hmm. we have a study that's happened in Italy, and I can. We, I can connect you with what's going please. on. Please, I would love that. 
Um, and then obviously in terms of PTSD, the researchers that are part of the VA obviously can't tell you what they're doing, unfortunately, and neither can I. But the University of Utah and Larry Carr, uh, they are they are working with head injuries, with performance, um, uh, memory, cognition, with children. Uh, so we obviously we had the COVID nineteen. Now we're going to do respiratory uh, with that uh, and other kinds of. Um, we have a depression study going on. Mm. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot. I can't even remember. There's so many connections. But if you come to me, I'm happy to point you in the direction to to make make those connections. Um, the the American College of Psychotherapy, there the group there on on addictions. Actually, there's um, Dr. Susan Blank. She's a very famous psychiatrist in Georgia. She's done a whole study using photobiomodulation in cooperation with her integrated approach to addictions, which is uh, pre-publication right now. Um, and uh, I, I don't want to swamp them with inquiries, but uh, we'll try and find an efficient way of doing it. The other thing that we can do, if you if you just if you get in touch with me, so we've got your names and addresses. We're also having expert series webinars, hopefully every month ongoing now. On each of these subjects and we're going to get them to, to share so people can start sharing what they're doing and uh get it get the voice get the word out there do you need someone to host those webinars you should do them with me yeah if you if if you want it's for sure yeah yeah i would love to i i'm fascinated by it and i this is this is what i do all day and i love learning and i have a really i think i have the best audience out there of course i'm biased you know but <laughs> i think that it goes to you know, a lot of the people with whom I speak, which is a lot of the veterans associations, a lot of the mental mental awareness associations. So, but yeah, we can maybe we can talk about it afterwards. So, but ladies and gentlemen, go down to the show notes, check out Peter, check out the technology, check out Lou, check out Violite. And I hope everyone has a wonderful Thanksgiving. And I, I hope you all know that there's a miracle right around the corner waiting to happen to you. And I hope you have the courage to seize your dreams and live your best life and be the most authentic version of yourself. That's all we got for today, ladies and gentlemen. Aloha. Thank you, George. Thank you so much. Happy Thanksgiving. All right. Aloha, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way. I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years. Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge. And I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now. And it's been so rewarding to me that I would just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, 
it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.